Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Today, Pastor CJ wraps up his sermon series with the last two points of the three essentials of life. Our character and our words both are essential to rising above and gaining victory in our life. God is constantly at work, fine-tuning our character and how we think. God is creating a masterpiece if you allow Him. We hope you enjoy this message. Let's get right into the the message. Today I'm excited about this message. As you mentioned before, I wrote this out of my devotions by talking to people and by the circumstances that happened around me and what came around my my thing. And so we started talking about the three essentials of life. And how many of you know that we have three essentials of life that we must stick to? That there's that stick to itness, that you gotta stay committed to the task. You gotta stay in there even when things get tough. And I was sharing this message last week and uh, talking about Colorado. And if you remember, I was talking about Colorado and little Switzerland, which is Uray, Colorado, and how Uray, Colorado is known for mountain climbing and also ice climbing the mountains and all those different things. And not only are they known for that, but it's also known for little Switzerland because the valley, it's in a valley, it's beautiful. It looks exactly like little Switzerland. So I was talking about that and I was talking about the million dollar highway where there's no guardrails and so on. Well, I intrigued somebody so much about it that they're going to go check it out and so starting in the, in the first part of September Harlan and Jane are going to go to those very exact places that we talked about and so we had a chance to show them on the map where it was and talk to them about it but anyways when I talked about that I talked about the pitten remember I talked about this last week and had the pitten that was we talked about and this is a, in the vicinity of six to eight inches long and what a pitten is for those that weren't here last week this is what the climbers take and they nail that into or chisel that into the side of the mountain and then they once they chisel that into the side of the mountain or the ice then they put the rope through that eyelet right there and once they get it fastened in there then they trust that little thing six to eight inches to hold their weight as they're scaling up the mountains 10,000 feet or more and so that little pitten is what sustains them and helps them in life or helps them to grow or go up the mountain so today I want to talk to you about the pitman. Last week, if you remember, we talked about commitment. We talked about the pitman. And life is a struggle, and we at times are desperate for something that will hold us. How many of you know we're desperate for something to hold us? That pitman is what holds the climber when they go up the mountain. That little thing they hold and put their whole trust in, their support on, that little six to eight inch pitman that put is in the side of the mountain. That we are desperate for something to hold us, something that we can use to ascend to the next level. How many of you know about you that I, I want to go to the next level in life? Have you ever said this before? I get so close, but yet so far. I always seem to get to the ceiling, but I can't get to breakthrough in my life. I always get so close to seeing the, the promised land, but I never get into the promised land. I never get my victory. I get the thrill, but I never get cross the finish line. But if you have these essentials in life and you walk these things out in your life, it's not only going to carry you across the finish line, but it's going to bring you up to the next level of life. And so we talked about this in 1 John 2, 6, and this is our theme verse for this, for these, uh, uh, for this series. It's 1 John 2, 6, and this is us. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. 
Now, every one of us here, I look around this congregation today, and every one of you, I know you pretty much by name, and not only by name, but I also know you personally. But I know that you follow the Lord, and you profess to be a Christian. You profess to be a believer, and Christian means Christ-like, that you profess to be Christ-like. And so, in other words, when you profess to be Christ-like, you start taking on his shoes. Now, I talked about this last week. Whenever you get promoted, say your boss got promoted, so you're taking your boss's spot, and so you moved up in promotion. And the first thing that you do when you get promoted, you say to yourself, am I worthy? Am I capable? Am I able to fill those people's shoes? And so what happens as a believer, God has laid out the tracks or placed the shoes in front of us that we need to fill his shoes. Because after all, you and I are his hands and his feet extended. We are the light of Christ, and people will only know Jesus through us. So what Christ is doing, he ascended to heaven and therefore left us his shoes for you and I to fill. And so if he left us the shoes to fill, we must walk as Jesus did. And regardless of how that looks and how that may feel, God is calling us to walk out his shoes. I don't know about you, but man, have you ever put on somebody else's shoes and they're too big? When I first became a Christian, I'll never forget, I wore size nine and a half, right? These are my feet. I don't got big feet. I don't got the Sasquatch feet. But my brother-in-law has Sasquatch feet. And I'll tell you, I remember that day when I, when I put on his clothes, and the reason why I put on his clothes was because of the fact I was coming from a softball tournament, going to full gospel business meeting, and I was drunk, and I was messed up, and that's my BC days, right? But what I did is I put on his shoes, and his shoes are so big that, first of all, I had to put Kleenexes on the tips of his shoes, and then the second thing I did, I had to keep my, put my feet pointed upwards so the feet would stay on me, the shoes would stay on me, right? And so, in other words, Paul's feet were so big that I couldn't feel his shoes, and so I had to walk awkwardly with my feet pointing up or my toes so I can keep them on my feet. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to fill his shoes. And sometimes in filling his shoes, it's going to feel awkward. It's going to be straining. It may have you pointing your toes up to keep the shoes on. But if you do, God will reward you in the end. Amen? So you see there, 1 Peter 2, 19-25, I'm not going to read that. But the first opinion we talked about, or pitten we talked about, was commitment. We talked about commitment. It's easy to stay committed. Now, get this. It's easy to stay committed when things are going good. How many know what I'm talking about? When things are going good, we sing a happy tune. But when we're sad, we sing the blues. It's easy to stay committed when you're going through the good times of your life. I always say this. When your network is up, when your net worth is up, your net worth, when your value and everything's up, your self-worth is up. But when your net worth is down, your self-worth is down. And so whenever you feel good, when, man, my net worth is up, my self-worth is up. But when my network is down, man, my self-worth is down. God wants you to stay committed even in the good times and the bad times of your life. He doesn't want you to bail the first time struggles or hardships come. How many of you know that struggles and hardships are not a time to bail? It's a time to press on because if you do, it's going to make you stronger and better for the next struggle of your life. 
But you'll never know the victory if you're always uncommitted. You will never produce fruit if you are never blooming where you're planted. If you're always pulling yourself up and being uncommittal, guess what's going to happen? You're never going to bear fruit. And what happens is we hear people all the time say, I never had this happen to me or this never happens to me, but why does it always happen to them? Maybe it's because they stay to the course. They stay to their plan. They stay committed to the task of what God has put in their lives. And you're, maybe you're not producing fruit because you're always breaking commitments. Amen? So if you look at that, commitment. I love this. Uh, today, commitment seems pretty cheap. If the value of something is determined by the way it's treated, then commitment doesn't have much merit, right? I'm not just going to recap. It's cheap in marriage, cheap in business, cheap in politics, and cheap in athletics. Being faithful and being committed isn't a function of personal convenience. It's a function of doing the right thing, even if the cost is great. How many know what I'm talking about? Even though it costs you much. What did Jesus do? He was committed by laying down his life. It cost him his life. He laid down for us. That was a great commitment, right? I asked you last week, would you do that? Pain is there something to see. Pain is there sometimes to see how committed how committed we are in the midst of your storm of your marriage, your job, your relationship, etc. The question is, will you stay committed? And I talked about this last week. The leper cries out, God, help me to feel pain. Because when you have leprosy, what happens, you lose your sensitivity and your nerves and all that. That's the first thing that deteriorates. And before you know it, a leper could be walking and not even realize it lost its arm because it doesn't feel. It doesn't have pain. So the cry of the leper is, Lord, help me to feel pain. And sometimes in life, the pain is not for you to bail. It's to sharpen you and make you better. So I always learn this. I can either become bitter or I can become better. So what are you doing in the midst of your struggle? Are you becoming bitter or are you becoming better? So that was what we talked about last week. But today, I want to talk to you about the second pittance. And this is very crucial to me because I, I love this part of who we are. The second pittance is character. It's character. I don't know about you, but character is shown under pressure. Character is shown when you're going through the battles of life. Character is shown when you're being squeezed. I don't know about you, but we have a particular kind of toothpaste. Like my wife likes Crest with, uh, with a scope, right? I like Crest with a whitening, right? So because we go on trips or we go on vacation, we have to take both tubes of toothpaste, right? And I don't know about you, but we are bottom squeezers. How many are middle squeezers, amen? Lisa's a middle squeezer. She likes hitting that middle. There it is. There it is, right? When I put, I'm so meticulous, I take it from the bottom, I squint my two fingers, slide it up. But anyways, I would never know what's inside that tube of toothpaste if I didn't squeeze it. But once I squeeze it, I know that it's going to be this kind of toothpaste because I know that's what's inside of it. Sometimes character is shown by the pressures that you go through and how you handle them. You see, you will never know your character if you're never under fire. You will never know your level of faith if you don't ever face a battle. So when you're going through the battle, that's when your character or your faith level is challenged. Are you going to hold on? Are you going to stay in there? Or are you going to curse and be mad at the world? world and shake your fist at God, or you can still be steadfast and show my character. I'm going to be Christ-like. I'm going to stand in there even when the storms come. I like this. In the Greek terms, character is the word that means to be chiseled or carved out in stone or to be hammered out. 
in the first service, I was talking to Terry. And Terry and Kevin, they just came back from Mount Rushmore. And they went to Mount Rushmore. But not only Mount Rushmore, but they went to Crazy Horse. And several years ago, over 30 years ago, Cheryl and I, we lived in Watertown, South Dakota. And at the time, they were doing Crazy Horse. And so Crazy Horse was being done at the time. But when we were there and living in South Dakota at the time, only half of the face of Crazy Horse was done. And so over the span of 30 years, I asked Terry today, I said, Terry, how far were they on Crazy Horse? After 30 years, after 30 years, they finally completed the face on Crazy Horse. It's not the horse isn't done, the whole figure's not done, but it took 30 years to get to that place of finishing the face of Crazy Horse. Sometimes character is not built overnight. It takes time. It takes time that God builds a little bit in you each time of your life. He chisels away this. He chisels away that. And he builds character in your life. But here's the thing that you have to understand. Everything that God chisels away, it always is going to leave pain. It's always going to leave a reminder. It's always to strengthen you, to make you better, to make you stronger, to make you more equipped. But every time he chisels away, it's going to be a reminder of the enemy that he has to attack that place immediately. Have you ever had this happen to you before? Man, I could stub my toe. And so because I stub my toe, what do I want to do? I want to protect my toe. And I protect it so much that a lot of times, like Rick, Rick, man, God bless you. Uh, I didn't mean to bring him up, but man, you had a toll situation. Ah, you sent me those pictures. I fell on the floor. Amen. But, but you know what? What happens? You try to protect your toe. So when you protect your toe, what do you do? You stub it more than usual because you're overprotecting it. So what happens is every time the enemy, when you go through that chiseling, that carving, guess who comes in at that spot? He wants to test you right away to see if your character is going to withstand. And so character is not built overnight. It takes time. That God builds character. And how does he build character in your life? He builds character in your life when you are faced with situations in your life. When you're in the testing room. You see, many of you, many of you are getting all excited. My kids are going back to school. I just found out that Siren's going back to school tomorrow. Uh, they're, go they're going back tomorrow. Is that correct? Tomorrow? Tomorrow. They're going back tomorrow. Oh, man, my grandkid went back to school two weeks ago. But I just found out I got to go buy three backpacks today to get some people. Amen. I just found out. I thought I had next week to get them. But anyways, many of you are so glad that my kids are going back to school. Somebody say amen. amen. Kids, plug your ears. Say thank you, Jesus. Right? Amen. You're, you're excited about that. You're excited that you're sending your kids off to school. Why? Because they're going to learn. It's going to help them mature. They're going to become growing into adulthood, and that's going to help them advance in life. But you know what? Every day, every day, every one of you are in the classroom of learning. The classroom of learning of how you are going to handle pressures, situations in your life, how you're going to handle this battle, this struggle. And every test that you go through, guess what it's going to do? It's always going to point at your character. It's going to test you and see how you're going to handle that situation, that struggle, that battle in your life. You are going to go through the trials or the testing of your character every day of your life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You have to think about, I got to go to work tomorrow. And I got to face that giant tomorrow. 
your character is being tested. I got to go to work tomorrow, and I got to associate with him or her, and all him or her do is I got to gossip with them. And then we're going to be in the hen house for a week, Monday through Friday, and we're going to lay a lot of eggs together. Your character is being tested. You see, you get all excited when you send your kids to learn. But every day, we're in the classroom of learning that points to our character. And how does your character act in the midst of the struggles of your life? You see, I love this. Today, commitment, uh, character. Character is this. It's the, it's the word that character comes from. It means taking on the unpopular position. In other words, going against the norm, that I'm not going to go with the norm. I'm not going to go upstream where it seems easy. I'm going to go against the stream. I'm going to go against the norm. I'm going to stand out, and I'm not going to get into a group of this person and that person. I'm not going to say the things that they say. I'm not going to do it. It's going against the norm. It's being peculiar, as it says in Deuteronomy 14.2. It's being peculiar, separating yourself from the norm. Character stands out. I love what Jesus says. I love this verse of scripture because every time as a pastor, I have to remind myself of this. What is a pastor's role? A pastor's role is the shepherd to take care of the sheep, to listen to the bah. And the baths are not like that. I wish they were. But the baths are hurts, pain, arguments, opinions. I hear that all the time. And Jesus showed us an example. And these examples that he shows us, I, I follow after. Now watch this in Philippians chapter 2. Look at what Jesus says. I love this. What is character? Therefore, if you have any encouragement of being united with Christ, in other words, any encouragement, any hope, any encouragement of being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, watch this. If you say you love your neighbor as yourself, you love God with all your heart, you do all these things, look at what he says. You have to do this. You have to empty yourself out. God never looks for full. He looks for empty. That's why he says the analogy of that he doesn't look for old wineskins. He looks for new wineskins. That's why he said, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. He doesn't want you to live in yesterday's manner. He wants you to live today. He wants you to be who you are right now, that he can pour into you today. And so what he wants to pour into you is, watch this, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, being like-minded, by being like Christ. Taking on the image of Christ, being like him, thinking like him, acting like him. My wife today, a lot of things that I was saying today, she was picking up what I was saying. It's like, man, she had telepathy. She knew what I was saying. Star Wars, right? Taking on the Christ. Remember those bracelets, WWJD? What would Jesus do? In other words, taking on the mind of the Lord. But here's what his mind was. Then taking, let your joy be complete, like-minded, having the same love, Having the same love, that same love. You mean I got to love that person that's unlovable? I got to, man, care about that one that doesn't care about me? I got to love that one that talks about me? I want to give them the right hand of fellowship. I want to give them hospital or sudden death. Man, I don't want to love them. Man, I want to knock them out. I'm going to rock them, sock them robot. I'm going to knock their heads off. You mean I got to love them? Right? But then he goes, says this. Being one in the spirit and one mind. Now watch what he says now. He's setting us up. And here it is. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. All about me. Selfish ambition or vain conceit. But look what he says. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. What? God, you got this all backwards. God, you, you must have had bad pizza last night. I mean, this can't be right to value others over me. Didn't Jesus say in Mark 10, 45, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many? He came to be a servant to value others. I've always found in life, if you want to go places in life, you sold seeds. You sow seeds in people's lives. You help others out and they help you out. What you sow is what you're going to reap. You got to learn the concept. I help you. You scratch my back. I'm going to scratch your back. I don't help you out to get. I help you out to give. And out of my giving and having a sincere heart, that's when God learns to elevate. He elevates you, right? Then he goes on to say, now watch, this is so cool. He says, not looking to your own interest, man, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. In other words, we don't look for our own interests. We're looking out for the needs of those around us. I always tell people, that when I see people, I always look at people with 3D glasses. Remember when 3D came out? It was so big. Remember, you had to buy the glasses and all that stuff, and then they gave you that 3D. I always look at people with 3D glasses. You know what it is? God, let them have the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Lord, fill them up with your presence. Fill them up with your spirit. That's why every time I make a contact with a person, I want to encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you. And if I can't do that and have 3D glasses on, man, I can't see that in you, then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. Right? But then he goes on to say, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to your own, under, uh, own advantage. In other words, here I am God. But guess what he did in verse 7? Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, of a servant. A servant is to serve, being made in human likeness. Watch this. I love this. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every Name. What does it say in James 4.10? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. In other words, God says you walk with humility, not always looking out for number one, me, but always looking out for the needs of others. How many of you know the Bible says in Acts 20, it's better to give than it is to receive? That God loves a cheerful giver. And not only just in resources, but he's talking about in yourself, that you're always looking out for the needs of others. Wearing 3D glasses, having that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost attitude, mindset, that what is their need in their life? Find a need and fill it. Well, Jesus did that. But being having character, character build, building character doesn't look for the approval of others. It is built when no one is looking. Ooh, what is your character in the secret places? It's easy to have character in leading the parade. It's easy when everybody's cheering you on. It's easy to pray and, man, looking like we're this Superman Christians and praying out loud and in front of everybody and, man, leading the bandwagon in prayer. But what really meets the rubber meets the road 
is in your secret place. Did you ever notice where God says? God says in Matthew 6 to go into your secret place and shut the door. Shut the door means shutting the door to distractions, avoiding the noise, shutting the door to all this other stuff and getting in with God. You see, where God meets you at is in your secret place. In the secret place, it means just you and God. But where character is really shown is in your secret place. What do you do when your spouse is gone? What are you saying when no one else is around? What are things are you acting out and maybe thinking about when no one else is around? You know when the enemy attacks you the most? When you're by yourself. If you ever notice, man, Wild Kingdom or Natural Kingdom or these shows on TV, what does the lion always do? It looks for the weaker one of the herd, and then it pounces on the weak one. You know what the enemy does? It looks for the weak one. When you're all alone, that's when character is shown. What are you doing behind closed doors? You want to be rewarded? God says you shut the door and that's where God rewards you. It's easy to lead the parade in front of everybody. Where character is really shown is what goes on behind the scenes, right? Somebody say amen. amen. Character is shown with others. Take the low road or the easy road. Character is shown when others what, take the low road or the easy road, but you take the high road and do what's right. Man, I'm going to take the high road. You know what? Why did Jesus say when they strike me on one cheek, you turn the other cheek, right? Why did Jesus say forgive 70 times 7? Because Jesus chose to take the high road. Jesus chose to take the high road. He took the high road, and because he took the high road, guess what? He always came through. Sometimes in taking the high road, you're going to lose oxygen because the higher you go, the less air there is, right? But the higher you go, the harder it is to get there because, man, the struggle, the strain, the pressure, the stress that you go under taking the high road. But in the end, you will receive a reward if you do not quit. Taking the high road, man, means that God says, I'm looking at you. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And he always sees your heart and the intentions of your heart, that I choose to do what's right. I choose to do what's right in my marriage. I choose to do what's right in my job. I choose to do what's right in relationships. I choose to take the high road, and I don't care what others may do, think, or say, but I take the high road not for my own benefit, or for the benefits of you, but I choose to take the high road for the sake of God because I am a walking in his footsteps. Even though I can't fill his shoes, and man, it's hard, and it's straining, but I'm walking in his footsteps, and it's hard to go against the flow, but God, I'm walking, and I'm going to keep walking even though it doesn't feel good, even though God is costing me much, I am going to stay in there, and I'm going to show my character even in the good times as well as the bad times. You see, I love this. Character is like a car. Where you drive it, it will, it will lead you, you will end up. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. I always say this. The world is full of voices. It's full of voices. All of us have voices. We hear voices all the time. They say that women, man, before the day is over, they say that women speak 462,000 words a day. No kidding. Men are 200, yeah, that's all. <laughs> Men are 200 and some thousand. Right? So we're always hearing voices. But listen, 
The world is full of voices, but voices have choices, and choices have consequences. So you got to remember that you're going to be faced with the choice, and you're going to be faced with voices. But every choice and every voice that you have and you respond to has a consequence with it. It could either lead to good or evil. Good or bad, whatever you choose, the choice is yours. You like Pepsi, I like Coke. You like Mountain Dew, I like Sprite. The choice is always yours. You got to choose the voice in which you're listening to and sort it out. Is this going to lead me down and take me to the high road or lead me to the low road? The choice is yours. I love this. Your character is shown when things get tough. When things get tough. How do you handle tough times? Do you blow up? You blow up? I find this when marriage counseling, when, like I said, I, I, I majored in counseling. And I, I find this in, in marriage counseling that a lot of times this is our defense mechanism in counseling and marriages. That one or the other, the spouse, one or the other, doesn't matter. What they do instead of combating or communicating or situ- working the situation out, the one will roar, will roar louder than the other. And that roar that is louder than the other is usually the one that's going to intimidate and make the other retreat. And what happens is it doesn't fix things, it makes things even worse. And so we learn that if I roar louder, maybe she'll be quiet. If I roar louder, maybe he'll give me the money. If I roar louder, maybe my kids will cooperate. If I roar louder at work, maybe my boss will change his decision, her decision. It's always a lot of times what we base our roar on instead of our character. Can I roar louder than you? God doesn't look for the roar. He looks what's inside of you. Like I said, God doesn't look at the external things. He looks what's inside of you, what comes out of you, what a man thinketh in his heart, so he will be with your thought process. Your life follows your thoughts, and wherever your thoughts are, your life is going to follow, and whatever your life follows, you're going to live it out. You're going to follow that out. Do you trust God and let your light shine, or do you get angry and you blow things up? It's easy. It's easy to blow things up. You know what it says in Proverbs 18.1? says a soft, so Proverbs 15.1, a soft word turneth away raft. A soft word turneth away raft. But you know what happens with character? Our character is texted. And what happens many times is that why we so, are so lo- blow things up and we lose control and we, we get things way out of control with no one Now, get this, no one is willing to take the gloves off. We are always people of always wanting to get the last word. Always people of wanting to have the last jab. Always people wanting to have the upper story. And we're always not willing to take the gloves off. What Jesus did in Philippians 2, he took the gloves off. He became a man of humility. And whatever you choose to say about me, do about me, talk about me, whatever, I'm not going to retaliate. 
Character doesn't have to be proven by words. Character is proven by action. Character is proven by how you live it out, how you live it out not only in the closet and not only leading the parade. Character is proven by action and not words. I always say action speaks louder than words. Talk is cheap, but action is deep. We got to live it out. And my character is shown when I'm under pressure. My character is shown when I'm going through the battle. My strength is shown, man, when I'm going under fire and I feel like I'm going under. I'm not going to curse God, but I'm going to praise God. That is character in the midst of your storm. Somebody say amen. 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 I, I love this. I, I, I'll tell you, character. First Peter 2, verse 23, I, I love this verse of Scripture. When they hurled their insults at him. How many of you ever got insulted? Maybe you are getting insulted. How many of you are maybe getting gossiped about? Maybe getting talked about? Man, how many ever do this? I remember, man, I had a person in Colorado when I was pastoring Grand Junction, Colorado. Uh, man, our church it grew so fast, and a lot of things happened. We built a new building. But one of the one of the people there, they were they were the sacred cows of the church, and uh, they left the church. And uh, every day, I kid you not, every day, I'm not kidding you, Tim. Every day, I'd go to the mailbox. They would never confront me face to face, but they would send a three by five card in the mail every day, every day. And they put a three-by-five card in the mail every day. And I'll tell you, and all it was, it wasn't praise, Pastor CJ. It wasn't great, doing a great job. It was always slander. Always. Remember that, babe? Always. Three-by-five card. You should have seen. Andy, man, I knew who this person was. I knew what this person's character was. I knew all about this person. I knew I could have, man, I could have smeared that person, man, told the whole church, brought them before the council if I wanted to. But I choose to take the high road. You see, I, this is the key. Get this in your heart. You can talk about me, but I'm going to talk about you down on my knees. And people are going to talk about you, insult you, maybe put you down. And I never raised a finger, never said anything about this person. All I did was pray. I took the high road. And you know what? A year later, here come this person. This person came walking into my office, broken, shattered. I'll never forget him. Man, he was crying. His wife was crying. Man, you know what? He became one of my biggest advocates in that church. Even to this day in my safe, in my cabin, I have a fishing pole in there right now that he made and handmade specially for me. And you know what he put on the handle of that fishing pole? He put on the handle of that fishing pole to my best friend, Pastor CJ. You see, I could have retaliated. I could have knocked him out. I could have smeared him. I could have, man, said all kinds of things about him, but he chose to say, Pastor, you chose the high road. You didn't retaliate. Your character stood strong. Your character stood under the pressures. Even though I wrote you three by five cards every day, you never smeared me. You never said anything. And then it wasn't done yet. They were gone for a year, Pastor John. They were gone for a year. His wife reached into her purse, pulled Pulled out her checkbook and said, Pastor CJ, not only do we want to tell you we're sorry, but I'm giving back my tithe for the last year. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. My point is, there are times in your life that people are going to say things about you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to gossip about you. But you know what? They did not, they hurled his insults at him. But here's the key. Here's where your character will be tested. 
he did not retaliate. Didn't retaliate. You mean tell me, Pastor, are you, are you, are you, are you crazy, Pastor? No. I'm feeling, I'm feeling some big shoes to fill. I want to nail that person, Pastor. Some of you got white knuckles right now. You're mad at me. But character, he didn't retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. You mess with me, you mess with fire. You mess with fire, you're going to get burnt. How many of you ever said, oh, you get me, I'm going to get you back twice. I'm going to get you back worse. That's what happens all the time. Doom, doom. You know what happens is all the times? We don't throw the knockout punches all the time. We're like jabbing boxers. We throw the jab. Boom, boom. Because if we knocked each other out, there wouldn't be nobody to fight anymore. So what we do, we throw jabs. Just enough to hurt him. Uh, 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 I got him. Uh, I got him. Uh, I got him. Because if you knocked him out, who would be your next punching bag? When I was a kid, we used to have those punching bags. Remember those clowns? You blow them up. They had weight on the bottom. You punch those bad boys as hard as you can. Bam! That puppy come back and let they laugh at you. You know what we all are? We're weebles. We wobble, but we won't fall down. You're going to have the blows in life. People are going to throw their attacks at you. They're going to say things, but my character, I'm going to be that palm tree. I'm going to bend, but I'm not going to blow over. I'm going to bend. I'm not going to give in. You see, it's easy to give in. Character, I love this. <laughs> Character. The second pin, I got to move on. Third, excuse me, yes, my wife keeps me in line. Third, third pitten is this, I love this one. I, I, my grandmother always said, CJ, keep your fork. And whenever she said, keep your fork, that meant dessert was coming. And so the third point I love, I saved the best for last because I believe in this one. I, 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 this is... This is my dictionary, I promise you. This is where I live, right here, right here. The third pitten, where you can stake your essentials of life, is in your words. How many of you ever said this before? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. How many know that words do hurt? How many wish you could take back some of the words you said? How many wish you could let go of some of the words that were spoken over you when you were a little girl, a little boy, and some of you are still carrying that baggage? Because those words hurt you so bad. When I was in sixth grade, I grew up, obviously, in a musical family. My dad, obviously, you know, played with Johnny Cash. He could play with every music instrument he could play. He was so talented. My sisters can sing. We, we did all this thing. We traveled around with my dad. Daddy sang bass. Mama sang tenor. Oh, the circle be unbroken. We used to sing in bars. We used to sing all the time as little kids. I am by the, right? But Gracie, I never had musical ability. You know why? Because in sixth grade, I'll never forget this, Mark. I still had that scar of that. I tried to pick up the violin. I tried to play the violin, and man, I was so excited. I thought, man, I'm going to be like the Oak Ridge Boys or whatever, right? Play country music. Get my wife back, get my job back, get my car back if I play it backwards, right? Amen? 
So I was going to play country music to get my wife back, car back, job back, everything, right? But here's the key. That teacher, when I started playing violins, she looked at me one day and said, CJ, you have too many thumbs. In other words, what she said, she said, you're not capable of playing. You're not able to play a violin. You have too many thumbs. Your thumbs can't cooperate and your fingers can't cooperate and can't play together. You have no unison. And you know what? Because of those words, I put down that violin and picked up a basketball. And you know what? Today, I think, man, God, you called me into the ministry today. Could you imagine if I had some music of ability? I could be at the piano, and I love leading worship. I led it for 12 years, and I miss it, to be honest with you. If I could just sit at the piano. Surely the presence and just play. But because someone told me, someone Maybe you're that someone that told someone that that someone could not play. Maybe you told that someone or someone told you that you'll never be worthy. And maybe you put down your violin. And inside you, you have a hidden destiny that you're never fulfilling because somebody or someone spoke death over you. You see, words are seeds. They are planted in the heart for good and evil. Wow. Words are seeds. It's hard to take them away. You can ask for forgiveness. You can do all kinds of things. But you still hear that ringing in your heart. My son, when he was banker at the U.S. Bank in the cities, when he was a manager there, man, he loved his job. He loved his job. But he got robbed three times at the particular bank. He was there at U.S. Bank. And the second time they got robbed, the robbers got really aggressive with the tellers. And you know what made him quit or lose his job? He could never get out the words of those girls screaming as those robbers were aggressively beaten on those. He said, Dad, I couldn't get those words out of my head or my mind or my heart. And he lost his job because he couldn't function anymore. So many times, get this, so many times we as Christians are walking as dwarfed Christians. What do you mean by that? I mean this. So my grandfather used to use DeKalb seed for planting corn. And DeKalb seed was his choice of seed for growing field corn. And man, when he had a harvest, man, he was happy, happy, happy. But then there was times that he was sad. And the reason why he was sad, because the same seed that he sown last year, that same seed now is producing dwarf corn. And the reason why it was producing dwarf corn and dwarf corn is only a half a year. It's shriveled over and bent like a curve, almost like a C. And it's only half the size of a whole kernel or a whole cob. And my grandfather would get sad because there was not the full potential of that whole cob or corn. And the reason why it became dwarfed is because of its conditions. 
And the conditions were it didn't rain enough or it was too dry. It was too much water or it was not enough water. Or it was too windy or it was this. And it was always based on the conditions of the weather. And when the weather was bad, it was dwarfed. And some of you are walking dwarfed, not walking in your full potential. Maybe not walking in your full relationship in your marriage. Maybe you're not giving yourself fully because you were told that, man, I'm never going to be a good wife. I'm never going to be a good husband. I'm never going to be this. And you're that C. But when I look at a C, C stands for correction. That God could come in your C and correct you and make you straight again. If you start speaking life again. Don't be dwarfed. There was a young man that walked into this first service. And I kid you not, he was in the back row, Scott, kind of where you're sitting at. And I was out in the foyer. And immediately, Carl, when I saw this young man, I stopped in my tracks. I kid you not, I stopped in my tracks. I grabbed him. I said, young man, what is your name? He told me his name. I said, what grade are you in? He said, I'm a seventh grader. I said, do you play sports? He said, yeah. I said, dude, you have the potential. I was a coach. I coached for many, many years. This kid walked in. I'm not kidding you. Steven, I'm not kidding. He stopped me in my tracks. I grabbed him. The first time I saw him, I grabbed him. I said, young man, it's in you. Listen. Phil, it's in you. It's in you. The problem is life and death may have been spoken over you. God wants to take your sea and correct you and let you walk in the full potential in which he has for you. His characters, I love this, your words. You see, you have the opportunity to stand on the principle of eternity and yell out, I hate you, I hate you. Or I love you, I love you. Rest assured, whatever you yell out will return in full force. I remember my kids keeping the car keys away from my my older son. He was my stubborn one. And whenever I didn't give him the car keys, I hate you. Well, good. Go find your own house. How many know what I'm talking about? It hurts, doesn't it? But when you say, I love you, I love you. Every day, every day, even before I come up here to preach, both services, you guys might have seen it. I kiss my wife every time before I get to preach three times. I love you. Because I never know that I can step into this pulpit and be struck by God and go home. But the last things I want my wife to remember is I love you. See, words. Like this, Samuel Johnson, an English writer, said more than 200 years ago, words are the dress of your thoughts. What a man thinketh in his heart, so he will be. Once you say the words, it's hard to retrieve them. Words are containers filled with emotions, and a lot of times we say things in our emotions, right? Right? And I always say this in counseling. 
Remember this little key secret. If you're ready to blow your top, stop. Count to 10. One, two, not one, 10. Bop! Right? One, two, three, another step. Four, there you go. In other words, what it says when you're in counseling, it gathers your emotions because a lot of times, don't we say things when our emotions are running high? And we spout off and say things we shouldn't say? Come on. Right? They're containers of emotions, meanings, and mental pictures. Ooh, mental pictures. Can I ask you? Are you an artist that painted the wrong picture? Painted the wrong picture of your life? You settled for status quo? You settled for second best when God created you fearfully and wonderfully and made you perfect in his sight? But you painted your picture, and your picture says average. When God made you the best. Mental pictures of information, they are planted in your hearts where they take root and grow. Words can be used to show affirmation and respect, or words can ridicule, belittle, or dishonor. Hmm. Wow. Affirmation. How many, man, remember the day when your mom and dad when you were growing up, I do, I remember, especially today at college, my father never seen me play basketball until I got to my college status. Never knew I could even play basketball. But the day he saw me play basketball, and you heard me say this story, but I'll never forget it, when I won the MVP, and I had to walk out onto the basketball court in front of this large crowd, his place was packed, walking down the bleachers, walking onto the floor there at North Central, unaware that behind me, my dad was walking right behind me. That when I walked to the center court to get my trophy and turned around to face the crowd, the first person I see is my father. I love you, son. You know what? I didn't care about the trophy anymore. I cared about his affirmation. I cared about his words of telling me, I love you. Oh, I love you, man. Oh, I didn't know, son, you could play like that. You see, if you pet the cat, the cat's going to purr. And when the cat's purring, it's just going to lay out all over. You wonder why your spouse, you wonder why your kids ain't purring because maybe you're not petting them with the words they need to hear. Somebody say, ouch. Words have power. Words can tear apart relationships. And ultimately, the very fabric of your traditions and history. Proverbs 18, 21, where I was leading to it. So you get ready to close. Go ahead. Look at this. 
the tongue. The Bible says in James 3, 1 and 2, that the tongue is like an utter on a ship, that your tongue can steer a huge ship. And Cheryl and I went on the Alaskan cruise several years ago, and that ship was four football fields long. And just to imagine that utter to steer that ship, that's your tongue. But here's what that tongue can do. The tongue has the power, the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So what is power of life and death? Life is when you got joy unspeakable and full and glory in your heart. Life is when your marriage and when your kids are all walking in unison and agreement and you wonder why maybe your wife or your husband is not giving up or giving in. And you wonder why maybe things aren't happening in your life and maybe she's not all in or you're not all in. Maybe, just maybe, you spoke death. Death means just that, no life. So how do you expect someone to give life when it's always been spoken death? You want them to resurrect and all of a sudden come to life to fill your gratifications? It only happens with the fertilizers of your words. You see, how can I speak life into someone or something? When I wrote this, I told you I had my journal right there when I wrote this. And I wrote it down. I have 15 pages in my journal when I wrote this in my prayer time. How can I speak life? We'll get ready to close. But number one, six words can speak life. Here's, I admit I made a mistake. Take off the gloves. Quit being that jab. Quit always having the last word. Who cares in the end? What's the big deal? I got to be right. My way or the highway? Well, you're in the highway now. I admit I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Five words spoken. You did a great job. People always ask me when Cheryl and I used to travel, we used to do marriage counseling. We used to do kids things. We used to do all that stuff. We traveled. My last year before my burnout was over 100,000 miles. And people always say, Pastor, all three of your kids are in ministry and blah, blah, blah. My kids aren't perfect, so I'm not talking like that. So please don't take it that way. Please do not take that I'm, my kids are perfect. But people always ask, Pastor, you know, your, your kids are doing well and they're all doing something for the Lord. And What did you do. Here's the key. I didn't always wait for them. You got to get this. Please get this. Please. I didn't always wait for them to cross over the finish line. I praised them at the 50-yard line. And my praise gave them momentum to cross over the finish line. Sometimes 
You can't expect your kids always to be perfect and get it done always on time or the right time and this way and that way and even get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, your spouse to do the same. You have to take a praise break, the word of encouragement, your one-a-day vitamins say, man, you're doing a great job. And you know what that does? They'll become like NBC, proud of the peacock. My daddy's proud of me. My mama's happy. My husband is proud of me. My wife is proud of me. I'm going for it. I'm crossing that 50-yard line. I'm going through the finish line. I could have quit. I could have gave up. But life, that's how you do it. You did a great job. Don't always wait for the completion of the, good, of the job. Do it in the middle of the job. That gives them the momentum to finish the job. Number four. Number three. Four little words like, what's your opinion? What's your opinion? What are the three big crucial things of marriage? Communication, finances, and intimacy. But if communication breaks down, guess what? The spouse, whatever, husband and wife, will go out and start spending money to fill a void in their heart because there's been a breakdown of communication and no communicating, no unifying. Unifying means you and I tie. Unifying together, there's no communication. So I'm going to spend money to fill a void or I'm going to withhold myself with intimacy and I'm just going to be dead when it comes to that because I have no life. Because I don't feel a part of this marriage. I don't feel a part of this union. I don't have a voice. Do you see what happens? Three. Perhaps the most important words. And not just on Valentine's Day. I love you. I love you. Love. That word love is more than a million dollars. When your husband or your wife knows that you love them. Number two, last two words. Last two words are significant. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Let me tell you something. If there's anyone that needed to ask his wife to forgive him, sir, you're looking at him. I'll be at first in line. I'm lining up. and those words don't taste good but I'm so sorry the last one maybe the hardest one the least important word is I when I coached there was a slogan I always told the team and many people use it there's no I in team but have you ever noticed the word sin what is the middle letter in sin I What is the middle letter in pride? I. When it all becomes about I, 
all of a sudden sin creeps in. When it all becomes about I, all of a sudden pride sets in. When it all becomes about you, then you start having a landslide in your life. When God says, listen, it's not about me, myself, and I. It's about us. It's about me and you. It's about my family. It's about my job. It's about my friends. Jesus laid down his life for his friends, and that's you and me. Jesus said, here's my footprints. Here's my shoes. Are you willing to fill it? Amen? So that's what it's all about. I want to close with this. I have some of my board members here today. We have a very urgent need here in our in our midst. And so I want my board members and their spouses to come right now. And Marissa and Will, bring your little girl here. She's supposedly going to go in for a heart situation. They found a, a medical problem in her heart. And so they are supposed to go in for heart surgery on this little girl. And she needs a miracle. She needs a miracle. And uh, so we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And this is a praying church. This is a believing church. And she needs a miracle. And so, Mama, this Mama's been under a lot of attack. But can you stand with me? And I want you to extend your hand. And we're going to pray for them today. Katie, come on up here. Come on, honey. Come on. My staff, any of my staff members are here. Come on. Come on. This lady needs a miracle. This is her good friend. Come on. Come on. Come on, Terry. Come on. She's a miracle. She's a miracle. So we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. I lift this little one up to you right now in Jesus' name. I thank you that you, Lord God, are the healer, the restorer of this little one's body right now. Lord, today we believe the report of the Lord, and the report of the Lord is by your stripes she is healed. Father, you said we ask not, Lord God, so we are asking. We are asking. We have not because we ask not. Today, Father, we are asking on her behalf that, God, you reach your hand down and touch her right now from the crowns of her head to the soles of her feet. We thank you that, God, your word will not return void. It will accomplish that which it said it will do. And your word says that you are the God that healeth her. Not would be, could be, or should be, but are the God that healeth her. So, Father, we expect that. We believe that. Now may she receive that over her body today. Be with Marissa and Will today. I pray that you will comfort them. Lord, send the agent of the Holy Spirit to comfort them in their time of need. We thank you, God, that you are here right now in our midst. Where two or three agree, it shall be done. There is power in agreement. We expect now, we believe, and now she receive in in Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen. Now, come on, give the Lord praise. Amen, amen. Now, before we close, as I did in the first service, I want you to grab a person's hand, your spouse's hand next to you. Come on. And if your spouse ain't here, I want you to envision your spouse here. I want you to envision your spouse here. I want to pray over you today. Because you know what they're saying that the church today, and if you've been through a divorce, I'm not frowning on you. I understand. Please don't take me wrong. I'm not frowning on you. I understand circumstances. But the enemy is coming in at the flood. And you know what the statistics are saying right now, Bob, of the people in the church, that over 50% of the people in the church are ended up getting divorced. Because you know why? That the enemy is working rapidly. And I want to pray over you today. And your spouse saying, maybe not here today. Maybe you're going through a struggle in your marriage. I want to pray over you today. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray over every household here today. 
Lord, I know that what the enemy's intended for bad, God, you're going to turn it around for the good. I speak love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control into every household today. Let the fruits of the Spirit be evident in every household today. Let our character be shown, Lord. Let our words, Lord, be spoken with wisdom and wisdom, Lord, of life. I pray in Jesus' name, if there are couples here today that are struggling, I pray that, God, you will fan into flame, that you will kindle the fire, the passion, the love, the zeal in their marriage like never before. Lord, I thank you that today we are a church that stands in victory, a church that stands in strength, a church, Lord God, that loves you, serves you, and honors you. And, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, increase to every household here today, whether it be finances, whether it be in health, whether it be an emotional situation, that God, you will touch them right now. Go with us now, Father, and we give you all the praise and all the glory, for it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you today. We love you in Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Adventure Church. Would you consider a financial gift to help support this ministry? Giving is simple and safe. Just go to our website, www.adventurechurchsiren.com and click on the Give tab. Thank you for your generous gift.